Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 47 of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I'm very, very, very excited to bring you this week's guest. We have been trying uh, for quite some time to be able to sync our schedules up, and the timing just hasn't worked out. But uh, we were finally able to set a little time aside, and then we ended up recording for a couple of hours. So this is actually going to be, as you probably saw in the title, a two-part episode with my dear friend, Marcus Weiss, who is a phenomenal actor, director, just an all-around great guy to be around. He's married to Anastasia Weiss, who I interviewed uh, a few months ago. I think it was in, uh, I want to say, December. Uh, but she was one of the earlier guests on the podcast. And they have now, I just saw, been nominated for uh, some new awards here in Las Vegas, which I'm very excited about. They're both fantastic people and uh, very talented, uh, just amazing at what they do. So I'm very, very excited to uh, to have uh, finally been able to sit down and talk to Marcus. And we talk about all kinds of stuff, the different uh, projects that we've worked on together, some stuff about philosophy and life and uh, you know how the how the world works. Maybe we've solved a problem or two. We shall see. But uh, just because of the uh, flow of the conversation and the timing, I had to break it up in in slightly a weird place uh, because there was really no good place to do it because the conversation just flowed so well. Uh, So I just kind of uh, cut it where I could. So uh, I'll be bringing on his, uh, the rest of his interview in the very near future. I've been, uh, you know, it's weird. I go through these periods where uh, I have a hard time timing uh, people getting on the show. And then there's last minute cancellations and schedule changes. And then uh, I end up with like four or five shows that I'm recording within a few days, and I've got to schedule them out. And of course, I'm coming up on the big 50th episode. So uh, I'm trying to do something extra special for that as well. Uh, Whether that'll work out or not, I don't know. So far, it hasn't, but we'll see. If not, it's going to be a great show no matter what. But uh, before I talk, uh, before I bring Marcus on the show, there's something else I want to talk to you guys about. Last night, I did my very first ever float in saltwater in what used to be horribly named a sensory deprivation tank and is now something way more positive. I can't think of what it is uh, off the top of my head. But I did this for the first time last night, and it was pretty incredible. Um, the, uh, you know, the, the place I went, True Rest which has places in uh, Sedona and here in Vegas. And I believe there are some other places. Uh, but the whole experience is that uh, you go into, you strip off all your clothes and then you go into this tank and you literally float on top of the water because of the high salt concentration. Uh, you have to work really hard to touch the bottom with anything other than your hands. It's it's actually more of a challenge than it is a joy. So uh, really, the goal is to just float there, to really not move around much, just let the experience sort of take you over. And uh, I, I'm i a little bit hydrophobic, so uh, I was happy that they had a neck pillow that you could use in the water to kind of keep your head up. I did try it without the neck pillow, and uh, it just the water just got a little too close to my uh, eyes for my taste. Uh, I'm, I'm a little paranoid about that. So, uh, but but the pillow is there. It's a great help, and you have the option of turning on different color, very subtle lighting. Uh, you also have the op- option to turn off the lights entirely, and you have option for uh, music on or off. And uh, so you can go from a completely uh, soundless visual, completely uh, lack of visual experience 
to, you know, having some soft glowing lights on, having some music that plays. It's all very, very well done. And True Rest is great because they really kind of thought of everything. From the uh, walkthrough, they show you where everything is, what you have access to. There's an oxygen bar. There's water. There's some delicious tea. There is a, uh, there's a, a shower in your room so that you can shower before and after. Get some of that salt off of you uh, before you put your clothes back on. There is uh, bathrooms that you can use. There's uh, And they thought of everything like shampoo, deodorant. Q-tips, all the stuff that you might need. Uh, very, very thoughtful. They ha- they do give you earplugs for the actual float, which are great. Uh, they're they're a little uh, different than the ones I normally use from uh, Eargasm, so they were uh, they took a little bit for me to get used to, but they are they're more like clay and they mold very nicely. Uh, but the whole experience was great. Um, I I didn't realize that it would be a little bit hard to breathe because the water is body temperature. So it's not like you kind of expect if you're going to go into a body of water, it's going to be warm and you know, you're going to have fun and whatever. But this is really designed so that you don't necessarily feel the water. So it was a little cooler than I had anticipated. And so my sinuses plugged up a little bit, uh, making it a little bit hard to breathe. I was trying to breathe in through my nose and out through my mouth. And I kind of gave up on that very quickly. Uh, but not it, it wasn't uncomfortable, but it was something to uh, be aware of. Definitely, it's one of those things that I think everyone should try once in their life. And if you like it, do it again. And if you don't like it, you don't have to do it again. But you can say you did it and you don't have to wonder what it's like. But it's definitely an experience. And I, I kind of equate it to if you've ever seen a frog just laying on top of the water, that's pretty much what it is. And I kept trying to like, every time I wanted to move around, I I kept telling myself, just be the frog, just be the frog. And, uh, that worked, but, um, it's, uh, it's an hour long and you don't have any sense of time. So you don't know if you've been in there for 15 minutes or 45 minutes. Um, but the, there's these jets that come on, uh, as the filter kicks in and that's kind of your, okay, now we're, we're done and it's time to get up and go. Uh, but yeah, it's it's really a fascinating thing, and uh, I definitely recommend it. Uh, the fl- the folks at True Float are absolutely amazing. Gave them a wonderful Yelp review, uh, and it's really important that we do that too. Uh, one of the hotel or motels I stayed at in Phoenix, I gave a terrible review because I spent more time killing bugs than I did actually uh, sleeping. So uh, they got a bad review. True Float got a wonderful review, and it's it's basic math. If you take care of things and you you tend to them, then you'll have good things happen. Uh, uh, if your numbers are clean, then you have great results. So uh, check them out if you're in Sedona, if you're in Las Vegas, uh, and then go to their website and see where else uh, they have locations at that you can enjoy. I, I I don't know if they're expanding into other areas, but they're definitely here on the West Coast. If you can't get to a true rest, um, I definitely still suggest going to anywhere you can that uh, that has these tanks. They're they're pretty amazing, and uh, it's total isolation, total privacy. So uh, you can get in and uh, just enjoy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am very excited after weeks and weeks of trying to schedule a time that both Marcus and I were available at the same time which is, uh, you know, that's like winning the lottery to me. Uh, I'm happy to bring on the show Marcus Weiss. Marcus, how are you, my friend? Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm better now that I'm talking to you. I'm so excited for this. Why, thank you. You're always so kind. I appreciate that about you. Well, that's sweet, but that's a reciprocal thing. That goes both ways. It's like an energy bounce. Oh, absolutely. I'm very aggressive, I'm told. You're very aggressive? Yes. Your kindness is aggressive. Aggressive kindness. Maybe, is that possible? 
I, I well, if so, I'd like to think I invented it or had some hand. I in think it. I think so. Absolutely. Who can be the kinder person? Just just keep pushing. Yeah, and I I think I did say to somebody one time, I will out happy anyone. Dude, I I think I did say that. That's a t. I did say that one. That is a T-shirt. Anytime you so. come up with a good idea, you have to put it. It's like copywriting a thing. You got to like I don't know, like go on and one of those design those T-shirt design websites. And like plug it right in, claim it. I'm getting on Vistaprint right now and designing it. I'll make a logo and everything. Yeah. Uh, I was referred to once as a magical ball of happy. A magical ball of happy. I love that. That's a separate t-shirt. Yes. So one of them is I'll out happy anyone. And then I'm a, I'm a big, what a big ball of happy. A magical ball of happy. A magical ball of happy, not happiness. Right. That's not. No, just happy. I, I, how, how can you, you know, that's, I just wanted to hug that person for the rest of eternity. That's an incredible thing to say about somebody, It is. but we're not here to talk about my shininess. I want to talk about you, man, because you are to me from, from the few years that I've known you now, I I'm just blown away by so many things about you that I want to share with everybody on the planet and maybe even off planet people. Um, <laughs> I first saw you in a play and you might have to help me with the title, but it was a play that you were doing at the temple directed by Kate St. Pierre. I believe it was a table read. Cause I think you guys had disgraced disgraced. It was called disgraced. Mm-hmm. That was an incredibly powerful play. I, I remember just being stunned by the, the dialogue. It just made me think about the way that we talk to each other, the way that we perceive each other. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I try to be aware of that anyway, but it's one of those like eye-opening things. What was? What, tell us a little bit about what would, what it was about and how you felt in your role. Oh my goodness, you are taking you are taking me back um, quite a ways. You know, it was about it was a, it was a play that became very popular, sort of in the in the um, in sort of the aftermath of of nine eleven and about sort mm-hmm. of you know interpersonal interracial. Um, relations and sort of the the, the relativity and um, of how we perceive ourselves versus how we're actually treating other people and um, the play involved uh, two couples and one of them uh, came over for dinner and they were work and they were uh, work colleagues you know the sort of so one of them was a work colleague of of, of myself mm-hmm. and we and my my Myself and my wife invited them over for dinner, and um, and I don't want to get you know too much yeah. away of the play, but it had to do. And then, um, but there was awkwardnesses, and there was uh, there was a promote, you know, there was uh, uh, missed promotions going on, and it had to do with, uh, and then my projections as to why this other person got promoted versus me, and um, and so um, I'm looking up, you know, as we speak. I wanted to, I wanted to look up sort of a clever summary of the play, but mm-hmm. let's not go into that. I, I remember it was it, it was raci- kind of racially based, not racially, but uh, religiously yeah. based, wasn't it? Yeah, I yeah. mean, yeah, about yeah, religion and and and, and why you know and and um, and what sort of religions you know religions dictate. In this case, it had to do. Uh, um, I was you know I was Jewish and somebody else was Muslim, and sort of the tensions in there and how liberal we think we are, but versus how we how we actually you know treat other people and how we project on other people and then it and then there was uh you know inf- there was also infidelity involved and right. sort of you know an honesty and 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 ultimately uh i think you know one of the great one of 
I thought one of the great challenges of it, what also made it so great was sort of these layers of, um, of honesty and who we like to, to think we are mm-hmm. versus, um, how we actually feel underneath. And that if we, and that if there's too much of a discrepancy between those two things, it creates this, uh, sort of explosive tension that then ultimately it's like, you know what, I'm actually not that person at all. And here's how I really feel about you. And that's actually what I'm, what I'm going to say. And I think life is, you know, in a, in a society is, is, uh, you know, there's, there's a balance there because we can't just say everything we feel. We're constantly in this, in this space of, of out of consideration about, you know, and, and out of, out of, you know, love for other people in this, in this place of wanting to reconcile feelings we might have in the moment. So we're always checking in with ourselves, like, okay, what is that? And where am I coming from? And is that, you know, is that justified? And how, am I, how can I, uh, before we actually speak our mind, but how we're, uh, we always want to uh, find a way to, uh, to balance that. So we're coming from a truthful, honest place, I think, mm-hmm. when we integrate, I mean, when, we, when we're interacting with other people. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that there's another layer that we could add to this, which is not only our perception versus what we discover our reality of who we are is, but also the people that we interact with, what their perception is of us, but keeping in mind that it's based on their experiences and how they perceive people, not just saying, I think you're this way, and that's actually who you are, but understanding where that comes from. And that's what I really loved about this play was the mm-hmm. depth of that there was times where you could tell the characters were actively listening and there's times where you could tell the characters stopped listening and were forming rebuttals and important right. points were being missed. And I think that was a great representation of reality. Uh-huh. I just thought it was a very powerful play. And I remember that was the first time I saw you and we hadn't met yet, but I remember shaking your hand after the show and saying, great job. And you were like, Oh, thanks. And I thought this guy's good. Like he's got some real skills. And mm-hmm. it wasn't even until after we worked together on Bright Side that I put together that you were the same guy I saw in that play. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah, uh-huh. but very, very powerful. I, I was so touched that night. But the the setup for me, I got to tell you, is a little weird because you guys performed that at the Jewish Temple. And right. I had never been there. And I'm, you know, obviously, I'm good friends with Kate St. Pierre, who directed that. And she's like, oh, no, you should come down. I'm like, is it okay? Like, am I allowed? You know, I'm not Jewish, right? And I I, Mm -hmm. I was so afraid of being disrespectful or, or, you know, maybe being kicked out because I shouldn't be there or whatever that I was kind of nervous going in. So I think that there was a certain edge that I had kind of just being even in that location that maybe opened up my perceptors a little bit more to the play. Hmm. But I thought the play was fantastic. I really Yeah, yeah. So glad I saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was definitely, you know, um, there was definitely something interesting too, was specifically about being performed, uh, at the, you know, at the temple. I mean, because we had connection, you know, we had connections, both, both Kate and I had connections to the, to the space and it was, right. and, um, it was helpful to, to, to have a space, mm-hmm. but, but, um, you know, uh, the, one of the main characters, not the character that I played, but the other character, uh, was, uh, a character who was, um, raised Muslim mm-hmm. um, in in Manhattan, who was married to a white um, artist, mm-hmm. visual artist who worked a lot with Islamic imagery and stuff. So there was there was um, there was also uh, and then sort of in the app and then we had talks after the performances um, where we had, a uh, you know, where uh, um, 
um, a rabbi. Gosh, it's, it's so long ago, but one of the one of the rabbis spoke. But then I think we invited somebody else who was from Muslim background to speak, and sort of, and then we talked, you know, talked about um, larger issues of 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 um, race and religion relations. Right. You know, in the aftermath, so there was definitely something that we used in, uh, uh, from that context. As an actor, do you think it's uh, it's kind of risky to take roles that deal with such heavy topics? Or in theater, do you feel like that's really the venue where you can do it uh, because it's not ostracized, it's not really judged the way that, like a film would be? Oh, I don't know. You know what? I'm not sure. That's really interesting. I've ever heard somebody ask that question, sort of comparing it to to what film's role might be. You know, in theater, we talk a lot about, and I also there's something really powerful about raising questions mm-hmm. right? and sort of uh and, and and oftentimes you know big questions rather than uh just enter you know just entertain i think sometimes we can you know hopefully package something in an, in an entertainment um you know in, in in an entertaining way but but um but raising big questions in the theater is 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 often what theater artists aim to do so so that you walk out of the theater sort of completing uh well completing answering those questions for yourself rather than having it answered for you during the you know during the performance so that it stirs something you need as you can take so that you end up taking with you a part of the experience uh, and oftentimes i think we talk about too about that might even distinguish art from entertainment Mm, that's really well said. And especially I like the, that you use the word stir, because I think that that's kind of what happens to me with a lot of plays that I've seen since I've moved here to Vegas, uh, is that that just about every one of them has made me walk out of there kind of questioning how I feel about something. Yes. And I like that. I, I like yes. that it's not just, you know, you pay your money, you go see it, and then it's over. And then you're like, okay, now what are we going to do? Or let's go get dessert or whatever. I mean, it really kind of sure. leaves you with something to walk away with. Sure. You know, but can theater be something like a oh I don't know like a roller coaster ride? Sure. Like oh my god, that was awesome. Yes, that was awesome. That was awesome. I'm going to remember that mm-hmm. for the rest of my life or something. And then you can still walk away and go, okay, now are we going to go have lunch? Depending on how your stomach feels. Right. It, it, yeah. And I mean, look at look at how many years ago this play was, and and it's still. I mean, it's touched me to that point that I really wanted to right. talk to you about this. You know, some years later. Right. So that really says about the lasting impression that you get from something, and I, and I really like that. Really yeah, do. that's that's interesting that you ask like whether that's a whether it's a hard thing to do. It's it's interesting. You know, I've been doing it for a long time. I've been performing for a long time and interpreting roles for a long time, but I'm always up there trying to trying to get into the character and you know tell the story of the character or what's this character doing or why they feel in the way that they're feeling or you know whether it's a whether it's a clown role or whether it's a dramatic role or whether it's a comedic role. Sort of the work of the role for me is always the focus. I, I, I think I, you know, it's not until I have conversations like this or, or conversations after the plays that have been talk back situations where I might think about the larger, sort of the larger role of what it is that I'm doing. I generally, you know, generally I leave that up to the directors or the producers, you know, or, or, or something I have yet to, um, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to be accurate. I don't think I've ever hesitated or turned down something because it was too tense. I was about to use the word like incendiary or something like that. But, you know, I haven't necessarily gravitated towards something like that. Um, You know, I haven't necessarily been in the vein or or functioned a lot sort of in the vein of, 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 
activist or or something like that that's not generally been a huge part of my of 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 my trajectory mm-hmm. you know i mean i know that there's theater companies that that whose whose mission is maybe a little more along those lines oh sure but um but i've generally experienced my existence as a performer and um specifically in the role of just inhabiting what it is that i'm asked to do what that i'm excited to do and so the so it's all kind of the same right and i guess i mean if you're if you're an actor the the job is to play that role or develop that character uh regardless of if it's something that you would do or feel in your personal life oh yeah of course oh yeah that goes without saying right but at the same point like i think a lot of actors tend to shy away from roles that might uh make them feel like they're viewed a certain way because of the character's beliefs versus their own because some people can't separate that as as uh fans oh i see oh okay are you distinguishing in that way to film too, or somebody's like super popular, like in film, they're like a movie star and they don't want to go and do, and do a play that involves, yeah, something political or, right. or, or, or nudity or something like that. Yeah, right? exactly. Oh, I see. I see. I see. I see. Yeah. yeah um, well, and if, if you look at the backlash though, of, of like uh, the girl that was in uh, whichever Star Wars movie it was where, uh, you know, she did a certain thing that hurt the, that upset the audience and they went to attacking that person as an actor in real life for the decisions that her character made. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is just, I mean, obviously ridiculous, but that's the reality of, of people. And- I see. I think, yeah, probably, particularly in the, I, I would imagine particularly in the realm of, of popular entertainment. Mm-hmm. You know, like movies or TV or something like that. You'd hope we were becoming more, you know, um, you know, open-minded in terms of how we perceive yeah. how we perceive artists. But one of the things about, uh, I suppose, maybe one of the things about film is that, or, or you know, in TV is that I think when we're watching something on the screen, um, one of the things that happens is we get absorbed in it in a way that perhaps, ironically, maybe people don't when they're in the theater. Like even though we're we're live with people inside a theater that were actually closer to the actual people, perhaps, perhaps people are absorbed in a different way. There is less distance. That's sure. Yeah. That you, that you see these people on the screen and in a, in a, in a, in a, even in a more intimate way, you're like, you're, you're, I don't know. I was thinking about maybe they perceive that as, as more of a reality. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to distinguish between the, between the actor and the character when you're, when you're watching screen, I don't know. Right. And plus, well, plus with the play, you get to see the actors a lot of times afterwards and you can interact with them and, and, you know, do like question and answer dialogue. Yeah. Which I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. And you know that you're in a theater. There's a reality to the reality of it. Um, yeah. I agree with that. Now you actually, what you, you used to work uh, for the blue man group. Was I that, did, was that years. your first like big thing that you were, got into or was there something before that? No, you, well, it was the, it was the, so the most high-profile thing I had done to date, probably. You know, I had worked a lot in New York. I was a working actor in New York uh, before I got cast to open the show at the Luxor here in Las Vegas in 2000. Mm-hmm. And it, so it was – and Blue Man was, had already uh, opened New York, Boston, and Chicago at that point. So they were really well – known mm-hmm. and um and it was a big deal for them to open a, a huge show in vegas and it was it was both sort of uh blue big blue man news as well as big las vegas news that they were coming here and so that was a, a huge uh, jump for me i mean i had done off-broadway stuff and i had um i had worked on some 
high profile projects, but but not but not in a big role, you know. So so for me that was a that was probably the the most the uh, yeah the biggest thing I'd done to date in 2000. And I stayed with him for for ten years. Wow. And then after that, I um, I got to perform with uh, both regularly and as a as an understudy for the Second City in Las Vegas. And so that was another huge, you know, that they're another uh, wonderful, huge company. And they're yeah. just sort of, yeah, that's uh, that they're a pretty big deal. And uh, well, plus, I mean, if you're, if you're doing the same job for 10 years, I mean, it's nice to have the stability and everything, but for somebody who is just an actor, that might be yeah. fine. But for somebody who's an actor and a creative and has all these talents, it's probably hard to not explore all kinds of other things. And after a while, I would imagine that you kind of just have to grow on your own you mean to so that so that it gets a a little stale a little stale like, yeah well, well yeah 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 um i think you know what's interesting is that i think i got both really uh i, I guess lucky i mean i got, I got really blessed because blue man there's so much improvisation in blue man and and then also uh the blue man uh, you know cast and directors and band were always uh, you know, well, well, not anymore because I'm not with the show anymore. But, but we would always, and they still do, talk about the show and the cut and how would that and how did that go and and what do you think about this? And so it's a really sort of democratic um, conversation that's happening constantly with the show, so that so that I never got complacent, both with how both because of how they how, how we functioned as a how we functioned as a as a cast and as a as a company, mm-hmm. but also because of the show itself. There's a lot of sections that are improvised. A lot of sections that are that involve um, audience participation. So right. every night it's different. So you're so you're you're constantly exploring new ways to do something and or fresh ways to do something. And then and the same thing with the with the second city. Mm-hmm. A lot of it um, was a lot of it was sketch comedy, but 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 just as much of it was improv. And and so an improv is new every night. So you're always looking for something new. And then as an artist, I'm always looking for different ways to grow. Whether it's about playing some kind of game internally with yourself or because even when i was in lorev then for almost eight years uh at this that's a, a show at the win right i was a clown there and had a relatively small role compared to blue man in the second city mm-hmm. and so but still it was it was a challenge not to uh, it was a challenge almost to to get complacent or right. or bored with something but you're absolutely right the temptation is there to start thinking about you know dinner Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. you know why? Because right, yeah. because you get so you get so comfortable with some of the moments. At some moments, you really just perhaps just standing there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what do you do? But I hate being bored. That's like one of my one of the worst feelings is yeah. being bored. I'm with you on that. I I can't stand that. But I also don't easily relate to being bored because I'm like, there's so much. I don't have time to do. And somebody's like, oh, I was bored. I'm like, how can I be bored? <laughs> right. Like even standing in the line at the DMV, which is probably, and I forgot my book. That's yeah. probably the worst, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. But then I'm like, I'll make up a poem or something. Yeah. Or I'm imagining I'm painting a picture. Right. Yeah. I, I'm writing projects in my head or, or plotting, uh, you know, scheduling dates out or something in my head that uh, I need to sure. I need to contact Marcus so that we can schedule the podcast. Oh, and you know what? I want to work on this song when I get home from standing in line or yeah, I can't like I don't think we can stop our brains from just keep keeping going. It's it's an engine that just won't stop running. Yeah, well, yeah, but maybe that's maybe I need to meditate more. That could be. maybe that's OK. Maybe that's a, maybe that's a different kind of kind of cure for boredom. Just being present. 
and not think about anything. Well, and I think that's probably going to be the challenge because for me, I, I love the idea of meditation, but I have a really hard time with it because I can't seem to isolate my mind from all the the little drops of water I have going in, on, on in my life. And yeah. uh, I find it very difficult. And it's ironic that I write music for that purpose. But when I try to, to use it, I find that I'm going, oh, I should have turned this up louder. And if I would have panned that a little more, like I'm, I'm too busy judging it, then can't really use it for meditation. It's hard to just, right. But then you also wonder, well, where do you get the, the fuel, you know, the, the, uh, the experiences for, mm -hmm. for the inspiration, you know? Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, because, because as a performer, a musician, a composer, like you said, a creative, mm -hmm. we have to ultimately also tank up on just what it feels like to be alive. That's true. You know, what does it feel to just sit there and absorb something? What does it feel like to, to instead of being, just really being present and watching a, a kid play or, or, or what does it feel like to just, you know, lie down and look up into the trees, mm -hmm. into the canopy of trees. Like we used to do when we were kids and we would lay on the grass and look at the clouds. and Like we used to do, right. So that when you're writing a story, when you're inspired or you're, you know, or whatever it is. And I think sometimes when we, you know, it's almost like so much of, I find myself so much of my life is, is spent, uh, like you said, like, like, like coming up with stuff, you know, coming up with stuff or planning stuff or, or, or reenacting stuff mm -hmm. that, um, it doesn't leave as much time. I don't leave as much time as I should of, of refilling that well of experience, of just experiences right? to draw on it, to create things. That's an excellent point, but yet we, yet you of all people seem to be able to do it. You know, everything that I've seen you do, uh, you just put so much of yourself into it, whether you're directing or whether you're acting or, uh, it, it's really amazing to watch your energy at work. And, you know, you've got a very active wife. We had Anastasia on the show a few months back and sure. you have two very busy children how do you balance all of that and still find time to, you know, network for new projects and start studying lines and even memorize your lines? Um, I wish I could say good scheduling or, <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. You know, um, it's a lot of texting, you know, a lot of, <laughs> yeah. of, of, of emails and, and things like that. Um, but also it involves, honestly, it involves dropping a lot of balls, mm -hmm. you know, or, or at times postponing things or, uh, you know, cause one of the things that I'm, I'm pretty bad at is, is, is actually, um, prioritizing. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit of a, it's probably more stressful than it would need to be. Mm -hmm. I think scheduling and prioritizing in some ways, but new things come up and especially with kids and well, actually in, in any, in anything, something, something will come out of the blue and then you have to fit it in or your kid will, or your kid will get, you know, get sick or whatever right. it is. So, right. So life always throws you something that you can't schedule. Sure. Um, so it's not so much about, but it's, it's constant communication, yeah. you know, with, with my wife and then it's constant, uh, sort of reassessment of, of, you know, keeping perspective, reassessment of what's important, Yeah. you know, so that when you when you are tempted to feel that it might be you know that that it might be too much that you can uh, just emotionally go like 
you know what, I'm blessed to have a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. Would, would part of it too be maybe utilizing time that is available? Like you take your son to the doctor while you're waiting for the doctor to come in, you're reading lines or you're feeding each other. Lines. Oh yeah. When you get down to the actual logistics of it. Oh yeah, sure. It's that it's constant. Mm-hmm. And I always, but I, but I say like, I don't necessarily, you know, I don't thrive inherently on being busy. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, even though, well, actually, ironically, I just said I don't like being bored. Maybe it does come from something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I enjoy just sitting. I would, I would love to just sit on the couch and just dream, or look up into the canopy of a of, of a forest, or or sit on the beach. Some of that. It's not like I have to be busy. It's just I'm really interested in things. And so when things come my way, I'm like, oh yeah, that'd be cool, mm-hmm. you know. Or I love my friends. So if you're like, hey, you want to do this? I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, or something, you know. Um, and then also the need to make a living. Um, well, yeah, that's helps. And yeah. so, and so in very, but but I say to myself, so like what you're describing, I do all the time, right? Like as I'm doing one thing, I'm thinking about the other thing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I keep telling myself I don't thrive on that. Like I don't thrive on having to keep track of four different email accounts or five different right. email accounts. Yeah. And constantly, you know, and, and people send Facebook messages and they send texts and, and voicemails. And although that's the rarest thing now. Mm-hmm. And, and then constantly. Um, so I find that somewhere I'd like to think in my, I'd like to think, oh, it would be, I would thrive more doing like the same project for 10 hours straight rather than split those 10 hours into five different jobs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that because there's a different level of uh, time commitment to five different things versus one thing in that same time frame. Right. So that anything that's, so you're just always pouring, pouring, you know, ideas and or you're investing in sort of the, um, the same thing. I don't know. You know, they do, there's, there's word out there that multitasking is actually, that you can't really multitask. Mm-hmm. But that's not really something that is is possible. I think we just switch tracks very quickly and we consider that multitasking. Right. Yeah. But I think that there's probably a difference or a fine line somewhere in the middle of boredom and busy that's just maybe active. You know, you're you not go. you're not forcing every second of, of yourself and you're not sitting there doing nothing. But there's just a, a time where you're just active. And I think that might be more where you thrive because you you don't like to have time just pass by without doing something, even if it's looking out through the canopy. You want to be doing something instead of just staring at the wall going, um, I don't know what's next. I think that's probably where it gets to be like, I don't like that. Yeah, sort of inspired me. Yeah, it's not very Buddhist. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I don't know. it's not very <laughs> Buddhist of me, though. Well, that's, I don't that's just let true. it flow through me. I'm always like, even, but I, I don't know, but I want to get back into it. Yeah. I want to just be able to look at a tree and just enjoy it and not go like, oh, those are, that's a really beautiful green. Just mm-hmm. look at it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's belief now that we just get hit with so many things so fast in the digital age that we don't really let anything soak in or, or uh, analyze anything because the content is coming too fast now. And I think it's important oh, that we really? do things like that. And that's why I love doing my, my walks at the strip or sometimes I'll go to the park and really just kind of be away from everything and just kind of breathe and enjoy if there's a pond or, or you know, you can see the stars out and really just kind of get away from it. But my brain somewhere, some part of my brain is still going, okay, when you get home, you need to do that and you need to call this person. And But I try to minimize that as much as possible. Maybe it does have to do, that's interesting. Maybe it does have to do 
a lot with the digital age because if I'm on the computer or if I'm on Facebook or Instagram, whatever it is, but you have your smart device that mm-hmm. anything you you can switch, whether it's related to what you're doing or reading at the time, you can you can branch off from it so quickly. Right. So, for example, like like uh, you know, if I'm looking at a if I'm looking at something, if I'm looking at a tree online. I I can have a, an idea about that and then go look it up or something right away. Like, right. oh, that's a really beautiful green. I wonder or I wonder what that tree's called. Yeah. And then I can, I immediately swipe or I immediately go to open the browser. Mm-hmm. I think it's just taking control of it. So you just get maybe you get used to or and you get used to the ease of switching mm-hmm. thoughts too and not just being present there. You know, you can yeah. you can just keep scrolling right away or you can click on something which takes you to a totally different place right away which is very different than from just being physically present outside of the digital. Very true. And, and I think we just need to kind of find some sort of happy medium between the world we knew and the new world that we're dealing with, where we don't lose touch with those things, like taking a moment to go outside and watch the sunset, or uh, which I tend to do one night a year when I'm in Newport Beach. Uh, and we have oh beautiful sunsets here, but I don't usually go enjoy them like I should. So I think yeah. we kind of need need to take control of that and find that happy medium. And I think we'll be better as creatives for doing it, for allowing our eyes to get away from the medium and and uh, the digital, uh, you know, the the waveforms and and uh, the electrochemicals and all that, that that enter our minds. Maybe I mean, I'd like to. I, well, I'd like to think so. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, like, because I'd like to think that's like I was referencing before like where the well of our inspiration comes from but mm-hmm. then again i grew up you know most of my life well let me see yeah most of my life was or half my life anyway was spent in the non-digital age right so, right, so yeah. uh, i got all my my well was all from from just from life outside of that yeah yeah exactly but maybe but maybe that's not the case anymore for for people growing up with it or grow, you know um yeah it's definitely different i mean if you think about when when like pong and atari came out uh how that started to change things because then all of a sudden we weren't just plopped in front of the tv to watch the news or or ed sullivan or whatever that that became a okay now this is a thing that's going to take our time and yeah i noticed that as that happened i went outside and played less than I did uh, after Atari. Um, But even living in Colorado, which is a beautiful place, and you grew up, I mean, where you grew up, uh, that's just some gorgeous scenery, you know? Yeah, like in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. No, it's, yeah, because I grew up in Switzerland for a lot of, for most of my childhood. Yeah. And adolescence. And um, and I was just thinking, you know, I mean, my my sons are about to go back up to Washington State, where uh, one set of grandparents live, and they, and they experience a lot of nature and animals and stuff there. I mean, we go hiking here and we have a backyard and mm-hmm. that kind of a thing. But they they don't ex- experience, let's say, you know, walking in a forest with, you know, with the just the sounds of the forest and the crunching of their feet. Right. They don't, they don't associate, they don't know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. 
as much, or or maybe maybe they do, but they, I don't know. Like it, that's a memory for me. Like if I if I meditate, or if, I, if I'm doing well, maybe like in an acting class or whatever it is, and they say like go to a go to a happy place, and I close my eyes and I imagine that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I have some kind of an internalized association with that. But my kids don't have that. Yeah, for walking through, uh, you know, whether it's the forest or walking along the the shore at the beach, there or is the beach, something right. about that uh, elemental connection. That I think yeah. uh, nothing can really touch that. No, right. I mean, in there, you know, I mean, even, I mean, granted, I mean, I didn't, you know, I went to the zoo to experience animals mm-hmm. a lot. I mean, other than the ones I saw, you know, on occasion in the wild, even in Switzerland, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I wonder if you can, what that does if you, you know, get most of your connection to animals through documentaries on, on Netflix. Yeah. I've seen a lot of nature videos and uh, just like uh, how animals interact with each other and how they uh, interact with their own yeah. species and families. And it's really fascinating the uh, the order that they have that, uh, and they don't, they only have minimal ways of communication, yet they all seem to learn their place and what's proper and what isn't proper. And they respect that very easily. I think maybe it's because we have so many distractions and so many things available to us uh, that we've lost that primal ability. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know, but I, I think that there's, I mean, definitely we're the only species that plays with computers and, you know, has uh, houses oh, sure. and things like that. It, they just, you know, they're just out there. If, if they like that spot oh, in the lake, they're just going to sit in it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about the first uh, play that you and I worked on together, which to this day yes. uh, is still very close to my heart, which was Brightside. That's right. And uh, that is, uh, I've talked about that on the show before. It's, it was a play about a uh, man who is married to a woman who's in the military. He has a uh, strained relationship with their son. Uh, he's still trying to be the macho guy in his, uh, coming upon his, his mid-years, I would say. And uh, some things that happened to him along the way, uh, including getting breast cancer and him having to deal with as a man having breast cancer. And you uh, you played a very important role in my opinion in this play you were the doctor uh but you were also in a way sort of the let's take a breath and have a little comic relief in the middle of this incredibly serious heart tearing play Uh is it difficult to come in 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 the middle of serious stuff going on and just go i'm gonna add levity oh it might be see again i would say like it might have been for the director will adamson at the time Mm -hmm. to sort of take that risk for me for me, at least in that in that show, um, I made the conscious effort to be also so quite theatrical with it, almost almost to the point of of, of changing style, uh-huh. you know, uh, in terms of the other performances and stuff. Um, but but as a performer, I just came in, so sort of did my thing, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 you know, hoping or relying on on the director to to rein it in or 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 change it if it wasn't if it didn't work for him or for the performance you know right but um it sort of harkens back to what i was saying earlier about about uh about thinking about the bigger picture you know when i'm when i'm performing um i do in in rehearsals i talk about the bigger picture and what might and what might fit and what might not fit and, and that kind of a thing but when i'm but when i'm actually performing and by the time a show opens i'm committed to to what i'm doing and I just right. and I just and I just um, focus on growing and I mean staying in and and also growing in the in the realm of what I've established. So when you say is it difficult to do that, I don't not really. 
Mm-hmm. Cause you're just coming in and here's where I come in and here's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And here's what I'm, and here's what I'm doing. And I just try to sort of, you know, elaborate that and try to try to do that as well as I, as well as I can, you know, for better or for worse. I don't, you know, one of the things that I don't, um, you know, I'm not shy about, about what I do, you know, I'm yeah. sort of, um, I, I keep questioning, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily go like, Oh, I'm confident in what I do. Cause that would imply that, you know, I don't, um, I don't like using that word because I'm always, always searching and I'm always questioning in terms of, okay, you know, did that work? And how can I, how can I, exp- how can I expand on, on that while still trying to be consistent in my work, but uh, I'm always thinking about the impact of what I do or what I can do with it and how I can grow in it. Um, but there's a sense of fearlessness that I that I yeah I think I have. I was about to say I pride myself in, but it's just something that I, I I'm, I'm not shy about what I do. I don't get stage fright generally. Fearless is a great word because I say watching working with you as a director and working with you as an actor. Uh, I would think that that's a great word to describe you. But I think that one of the biggest challenges and, and tell me if your perception was different. Uh, that that I felt for your character in this particular show was that the audience was completely different from one show to the next. Sometimes they kind of appreciated the levity of your character, and other times it seemed like they were almost offended by, why are you trying to make me laugh in the middle of this? And you had to roll with that. Oh, yeah. Well, and then on top of that, arguably, yes, yes, yes. Um, And in that way, I was, you know, I can get nervous. Um... Like there's a certain sense of, you know, a lot of actors often talk about, well, you know, if you're not scared to some degree, uh, then you're not doing your job because you got because you're always completely you're always putting yourself out there. Right. You know, for the for the sake of the story, for the sake of the production, for the sake of the work. Mm -hmm. And so you're always taking a risk that, like you said, you might actually fall. You might something might might fall. And if you're playing it safe, I suppose you can play things safe. But then the question is, you know, uh, I don't know how how powerful is the work in that in that moment. And so so especially with humor, you know, if there's no if there's no laughter, if you don't hear something, chances are it's not working. Right. Um, so at least for for some. Um, and I think in the, also in the, in the case of Brightside, it was pretty extreme. Like I like to look at it like a spice. You know, it was like, it wasn't just garlic salt. You know, I put like, it was like tarragon. Yeah. You know, so it's like either you really like it or, 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 um, or something. I think it was pretty, in, it, it was pretty intense. So it either, um, I don't know, it was, I, at times it was a little all or nothing. Yeah. But you, it seemed like you rolled with it well. Like if you noticed the audience wasn't really reacting to the humor, you kind of dialed it back and went a little more uh, dramatic versus humor. Because yeah. you kind of you you worked really well with reading the audience. Yeah, you got to try. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, I did. You know, well, maintaining the integrity of what of what was directed. Mm-hmm. You know, because because um, that's what rehearsals are, are are for. But there's a but there's yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I love doing and I love doing that too. I mean, for me, uh, that's critical. I mean, there's there's you know, the, the the actors, the performers are one part of the experience, and but the audience is just as much an active participant, and you have to work together to create the experience. You know. Yeah, yeah. There was a play that I uh, I attended that Kate directed. Uh, I can't once again. I, I really suck at titles, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, a summons from the Tinker, I think, is what it was called. 
Yes, yes, yes. At a public fit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and the audience at one point started just asking questions during the court interrogation scene. And I thought that they were plants in the audience trying to, you know, just like show that, hey, the the cast is around and the plays all around you. But it but asking Kate after the show, it turned out there were they were just actual people that purchased tickets, came into the theater and got so caught up in the play. Oh, yeah, yeah, that they yeah. Right. Just, that was part yeah, of it. Mm-hmm. I love that. And that was part of it. I don't think she directed it, but she was she was part of it. Yeah, she was, was in the in show. It. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that was part of the. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was that was part of the show. But that goes to show the real variable of the audience because you really never know when mm-hmm. someone's just going to chime in and be a part of it all of a sudden. And, and as an actor, you you just you can't just ignore them. Uh, but you have to roll with right. kind of whatever they bring. But I thought right. I, I really felt for you on some days because it felt like the audience was particularly cold. And here you're trying to like, I'm just giving you a breather before the next thing. Trust me, you're going to want this. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully. Well, hopefully. But at the same time, you know, some of you, you know, somebody listening to this might very well go like, no, Marx, it's just because your jokes weren't funny. Or the way that you interpreted <laughs> it was just not, it was simply not funny. And that's that's possible also. Yeah, sure, sure. That's yeah. how, of course it is. Yeah. I think, I guess some humor is more generally palatable right i mean i right, think there's certain yeah. things that are just you know more generally funny and there's certain things like i would watch you know i remember like adult swim on mtv mm-hmm. which is i, I think when that first started coming out I, I felt that was that was created for a different generation almost because i would watch some of that stuff and I'd be like i don't get it yeah. i don't get it it's <laughs> terrible yeah so you can't fake visceral laughter you know sure. or, or the different kinds of laughter there are right so I would absolutely take credit if somebody came up to me and go, like, that's just not funny. But you're absolutely right. It, does, it did also come in the context of, you know, a doctor diagnosing and, 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 and subsequently treating a person for male breast cancer, for, for breast cancer in a male. And so, yeah. so there was definitely a sense of, like, why is this supposed to be, um, why is he playing laugh, you know, playing right. for laughs? Yeah, and, and it, was, it was hard for me behind the board for some of those scenes, too, because I know what's coming and this was, I had a real emotional connection and maybe it was because this was like the first play that I was involved with since I had moved to Vegas. But yeah. uh, there was just so much power in the emotion of that play for me. And I would be sitting by the board going, just hold it together. You just got to get through this scene. He's going to be okay. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and just trying to get through some of that stuff. Because even as a spectator watching the show night after night, it was difficult to see some of that stuff. But the hardest part for me is that when I work in film, and, and, yeah. and I do the score for a film, I've always got that film. If I'm ever feeling nostalgic or I want to go, how did I do this one thing? I can just pull up the film and watch it. And when you work in theater, it's two weeks, three weeks, and it's just done. It's gone. There's no record of it. There's no... Right. Is that challenging that you can't really go back and see some of the things that you've done over the years? Um, or am I just too nostalgic, maybe? Well... Yeah, I was just thinking, yeah, because even footage doesn't do a live performance justice, right? So even if I had things on tape, it would it would simply serve the same function as a, as a, as, a, as a picture from a summer vacation, you know, mm-hmm. or a video of any kind of ex- experience. You can't you can't relive it in the same way that you can relive a movie, I think. Even right. though rewatching something at a different point in your life might might bring up different different things in you, but it's essentially but it's the same art piece, right? right? The yeah. same way that 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 a, that a that a visual or or even a record or something. So I mean something that that I think makes theater different and uh, is sort of it's what makes theater um, what's special about theater 
versus what's special about something else is the fact that it's ethereal in that way, that it only exists, that the, that the, that the event exists on that night in real time, in a physical, in a physical place and a specific time, uh, of that one time it comes and goes. Right. And so in some ways that is, um, that it, it, that does get kind of sad that you can't, especially, you know, things that you really enjoyed and that were very, uh, meaningful, but I think that it also fuels the, it fuels the, the power of the next thing that you do. So the knowledge that what you're doing is only in that moment creates the, the, the power for that moment. Right. You know, so without that knowledge, you know, it, it might not be as, as, uh, as illuminating when you were doing it, you know, it's the same kind of thing when you talk about children or something, you know, like knowing that they're not going to be six again. Yeah. They're never going to be two. They're not going to be two forever. You know, and it's that knowledge that actually sort of informs how you live the moment. But on the better side of things, it also doesn't allow us the chance to scrutinize things because we can watch that scene over and over and over and go, oh, you should have done this. What did I do with my eye there? How come my hand is just sitting there like mm-hmm. that? Like you can't analyze yourself to death. Uh, it, it, but how does it work no. for like auditioning? Because when you're working in film, uh, you can get little cuts of different films you've worked on and you can create a demo reel that you can send in. Uh, mm-hmm. You don't really get to to showcase your private or your previous work when you're in theater. Oh, yeah. No, you just get excerpts. You might get excerpts on film and put together a, a, like a clown demo or something like that of the of the shows you've been in, but or, or plays if you get the rights. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, no, you don't. I mean, in theater, it's more. Um, it's just more about about the resume and perhaps you know that your network and your word and word of mouth mm-hmm. and then of course live audition you know live auditions sure. seeing you seeing you sort of in person and what you bring and what you bring to the table and what you bring to the audition and the the ideas and the energy and the interpretation of the of the role at least in the auditions when you walk in and you you do an excerpt or you do a monologue and they can they can see you know, an example of your craft, see whether you have craft, see, uh, you know, feel your energy in the room because that's ultimately what the audience is going to witness right. is a live, yeah. is a live person in front of them. So I think, um, that's an important part of the, of a theatrical audition, I think is, is being physically present in the room or, or at least getting, getting recommend recommendation from somebody who has experienced you physically in a room. Right. Well, plus I, the, the, the fact that, you know, the, the bigger your resume gets when it comes to live theater, there's an extreme amount of trust that a director has to put in you to do live theater versus a film where oh, you can shoot things three or four right. times and get a good. Oh take. yeah, sure. You know, so I would oh, think sure, that those, those credits are pretty meaningful, but it's gotta be hard starting out yes. to, to get three or four credits under your belt so that you can say, look, I've got a body of work growing. People are trusting me. Uh, I would that's think that that's the challenge. Right. Wow. Yeah, yeah, right, right. But, but you know, um, you know, I like to describe it as like cracking nuts. Sure, when you're in rehearsal trying to crack nuts. I don't know, you know, if, if myself or other actors always crack all the nuts mm-hmm. that there are to crack in the show. And then you get you get into the rehearsal process and you realize, okay, um, this route is not working as well as some other route. And then and then a great director in, in, or, or a, a team will work together to get the best out of of that team. Mm-hmm. at the time you know what i mean right. so a really great director will will be sensitive to um what works best for an actor or how to get their actors or their performers to um to the best place possible for that project for those performers do you know what i mean right 
So you have to trust that they'll get to a certain place, but also sometimes you, yeah, you just try to get to the best place that you can. Or that you believe you can find a way to get them to that place as a director. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, you must. When you talk about casting, yeah, when you talk about agreeing or, or deciding to work with a person, you have to trust that you'll get to a place that you that you'll be um happy with and then continue to and then continue to keep that perspective to understand that it's a collaborative art form and that and that that the result is you know um for better hopefully not for worse right the end result of a collaborative process that you don't know what it's going to be until it, it is yes absolutely because until you see it and see how that person that you're working with or those people that you're working with are going to uh, take your idea and turn it into something tangible uh, could be completely different than what you had anticipated. So either you like it better or you stay on your toes and modify what you don't like and monitor that as it goes, because that thing that was yeah. created develops and changes throughout even the yeah. rehearsal process quite a bit. But that goes for the, that goes for film too, doesn't oh, it? Oh yeah. Oh sure. For- yeah. But on film, you can try three or four different things and pick the best one in, in editing, uh, depending on how it affects the story. Whereas when you're in front of a live audience, you're making one choice and that's all you get. At any given point in time, right. Yeah. I mean, you but, but monitoring and you change. But you have a rehearsal, right. And you have a rehearsal process. And that's when you talk about, yep. And that's where you work on, you know, consistency or not, depending on what it is that you want to, that you, how you want to be executing it in the end. Yeah. Exactly. Well, interestingly, the next project that you and I worked on together uh, was with Angela Chan, who was on the show a little earlier this year. And we were working at uh, the Adelson School doing uh, Shrek the Musical. And That's right. these kids were, were really varied in age. I mean, for, from young to uh, getting close to graduation. And so you yeah. had a real wide uh, scope of minds and di- different developmental stages to work with. Was that a real challenge? as a director to work with such a varied age? Um, yeah, I guess so. I, I, yeah, but I would say the greatest, for me, the greatest challenge was just the managerial one. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, because they're, you know, they're kids and they like to, you know, and it's, it's hard to focus them in a space sometimes. Right. You know, into, but in terms of where to sort of put them create, you know, creatively what to do sort of either instinctively or, or consciously just put them in a place that they could, that they could um, thrive in. Yeah. You know, like just you're trying to find that spot, the, the the sweet spot of sort of challenge and make sure that they feel successful and therefore the production becomes, you know, successful. Mm-hmm. And the great thing specifically about Trek, I think, is that is that you can. Th- th- there's a great depth to be mined that there's a, you can you can perform at a different level. You know, uh, there's a lot of different levels mm-hmm. of uh of execution that you can have that you can have, you know, somebody, you know, somebody super experienced and, and mature as they did in the original production who can, who can mine great, great depths of emotion, you know, mm-hmm. and then you can, and then there's, there's, there's characters that can have great depths of emotion too, but you could also do it in a school where, where some of the kids might just like to be silly. Right. You know, and, and fairly, and like a waiting pool, you know, not, not, not too deep and, it, and you can still make it work. And so, and I think that was the great, I, I, that's what I love about that, that, piece specifically and it was a great production but but the uh interestingly you had some kids that that wanted to be there because that's what they wanted to do was go into theater and then you had some kids that were like well we have to be in this player we had to take this class but they all put in an extreme amount of effort to make the show great every one of them did Uh and i love that seeing that in kids that passion and dedication because it's so easy for kids to get distracted 
and just kind of drop off and go, ah, I don't want to do this now. And, but they, they were committed. Yeah. They were sweet. And, well, and hopefully that's the kind of environment that you, that you nurture as a, as a creative team, you know, uh, you, you know, you like to, you know, I'd like to think that, that, um, that our creative team and myself as a director had, had, to do with that, mm-hmm. that, that had some responsibility in that, you know, but it, but it takes everybody. That's why it's a collaborative, it's a collaborative art form and the, and the kids deserve lots of credit for that as well. Oh, but, yeah. but it's definitely an effort that you have to write. It's like classroom management. I mean, you have to, you're, you're on it. You're on it uh, a lot to keep that spark going. It's to, to keep those embers from, from going out, you know, yeah. you want to keep finding ways to keep them in, inspired about it. And sometimes it's, it's, it's about, you know, sometimes you visit the big picture and you, 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 you keep your eye on the prize. And sometimes it's just making sure that, that, um, that they're active or they're not sitting around too much and that they still continue to have fun, you know, right? because kids are also motivated, you know, they want to have fun. They're not, they're not necessarily always motivated by the bigger picture mm-hmm. specifically though, especially those who, do, who don't necessarily want to, keep doing it you know right so they, don't, they might not necessarily love theater in general but they like this experience because of this this and this and you want to make sure that you been when directing kids that you keep uh keep providing those things yes for all levels of investment right and you want to give them good experiences to go with whether they want to get into theater or not you don't want them to hate theater because they had right there you go that's a much more succinct way yeah yeah uh but it was the it was just the the dedication and the passion and the the unity that a lot of those kids really would work with each other um really supported each other and i love that because as adults um it seems there's there's not not so much that they're competing with each other at least here in vegas but just uh you'll figure it out good luck sport kind of kind of mentality versus mm-hmm. let's sit down and work this out together because I want you to be mm-hmm. happy in the show. You know, I definitely think yeah. that there's more of a family unity here in Vegas than other places I've lived. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, but there's less competing as well. I mean, most of the people that are here, they have a show that they work on. The rest of the stuff they do on the side. Um, it's much more supportive and family oriented than, say, uh, Los Angeles, where there might be more people fighting for each job, you know, because there's only so many lead roles or so many supporting roles. Uh, and yeah. far more people to do them. Um, yeah. but, but here it's a really nice supportive environment. And it was beautiful to see those kids already there without having to be told us to help each other. They would just do it. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how much you got to see of that really, because your, your focus was being pulled in so many directions. Yeah. That's very sweet. Yeah. That's very sweet. It makes you very, yeah. It makes me very thoughtful. I, I wonder, you know, they, you know, cause they got a sense that hopefully sort of in helping each other they would they weren't they weren't creating less room for themselves right you know i just had an interesting conversation with anastasia with my wife about competition you know and healthy versus unhealthy competition amongst people you know and and she was she was uh expressing how uh, how much she's thrived you know in 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 her work with her you know both, both personal and also in her uh, uh, in her personal life, but also in her work life with essential oils and things. Once she started seeing, and she has anyway, I think. But once she started really even more focusing in and honing in on on seeing other people as a support network rather than as your competition. Yeah, yeah. Let's all get there together. You know, and that 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 ultimately it always it lifts everybody up somehow. Yeah. Um, but unhealthy competition, right? Or, 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 or when people think about, oh, well, I don't know if it, because if I help that other person, that means that I won't, you know, if I help them get better, then that's going to make me look worse. 
Right. Yeah. It's such a sad mentality when people start thinking that way. And uh, I, I remember listening to a podcast uh, that mm-hmm. Jenna Fisher was on after her book had come out about the actor's life, um, which I highly recommend to any actor to read that book, especially if you're wanting to get into hmm. uh, film or television. Um, okay. But but she was saying that, you know, there's there's plenty of work for everyone if we just work together to get it done was the crux mm. of it. And I thought that's so true because instead of competing and, you know, trying to outdo everyone else, just be you. There are roles for you. Every, every role needs to be filled and there's plenty for everyone. Um, I think it's just that people get so dependent on each thing that they go for, that this has got to be the one, this is the one that's going to get me out of working a full-time job or this is oh, the one that's going to get me away. From yeah. That sure. Family. The matter perspective. Sure. Yeah. It sure. Really that matter perspective. Right. It, it changes the let's support each other into, yeah, I'm supportive of my friends, but I need this job. That yeah. becomes the more predominant thing. And if you get to the point where you're saying things like, I know where you live, then that's unhealthy competition. I think so. I mean, I mean, I suppose, I mean, the thing is you have to be the best, you can be mm-hmm. no matter what, yeah. right? And even I was talking to Jacob, my son, about even if you're like, let's say you're in a hundred meter dash, a hundred yard dash, a hundred meter dash at the Olympics, and it's clearly about beating the other person. Mm-hmm. The only, even if it's that, let's say, uh, the you know the the analogous thing being, even if there's only one, there's only one lead in this movie, and there's a hundred kids auditioning, you're still only going to get it by being the best you you can be. That's Even right. if you're sprinting, you're only going to win it by being the fastest you. Right. Unless you pull an Nancy Kerrigan, which you shouldn't, mm-hmm. because then you talk about what goes on comes around. That's horrible. But I'm saying you're not going to win by by slowing the other person down. Hopefully, you know. Yeah. Oh, you're. You mean the when Tanya Harding uh, did the when Tanya Harding not Tanya yeah, Harding, the knee attack. You're not going to pull a Nancy Harding. You're going to pull a Tanya Harding. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, right. When when that happened. Mm-hmm. Tanya Harding. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but yeah. And then, of course, and, and arguably, if every, I really believe that, that, you know, and what goes, you know, what goes around comes around. And, and I, and, um, so, so, so if one person helps another, then that other person might help another person or yourself in turn, you know? So, sure. so, uh, you can only be the only you. I mean, you know, of course, if nobody else auditioned and you were the only person to audition for King Lear, you might get it. You're probably going to get it. Yeah, but that's still not a guarantee. Because if you're horrible, they'll be like, we're just not doing this production. <laughs> you know, well, maybe that's, yeah, yeah. yeah, I guess. Yeah, but, you're but, right. but the thing is, is that if you go and you just give the best audition you can, even if you don't get that part, six months, a year, five years down the road, somebody might be doing a production and go, you remember that guy that we had? That oh, yeah, well, of course. You know, so yeah, you, yeah. if you always do the best and just be the best person that you can be, it That's could lead can to do. all kinds of things. But if you walk in yeah. going, I need to get this, and they sense that desperation, they're not going to go, hey, who was that really desperate person that we had? I oh, want to yeah, get them sure, into this role, you know? Yeah, right. So yeah. Uh, there's a lot to it. But yeah, these kids that. were just amazing. And I had done a play that year at Anastasia's school, too, uh, with Kate, uh, that uh, Anastasia did the choreography for. And, and it was another group of kids that were just – it blows me away how – it's like watching MasterChef Junior versus MasterChef where the uh, the adults are cutthroat uh-huh. and the kids are just like, come on, you can do it and cheering each other on. And it, uh-huh. it's, it's just a whole different world. And I, I wish we could find a way to hang on to that part of ourselves and not be competitive and aggressive. And like you said, unless it's in a healthy thing or a healthy way, uh, it, it usually just turns to disaster, but that's who you become. 
I think it has to do with a lot of, you know, it has to do with a lot of things, why those walls start going up and why those defenses, you know, defense mechanisms start kicking in about, I mean, it could, you know, have to do with survival mm-hmm. instinct too, that, that, that perhaps as we get older, we start to perceive real or, 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 uh, or imaginary, um, reasons why certain actions are going to, are going to jeopardize our future and our survival or the survival of our family or loved ones. Mm-hmm or our company or whatever it is right so that so that if i don't like you were saying if i don't get this part i'm i'm not going to work or or this part's going to make all the difference right or you know if i do this kind of a thing and i think perhaps in kids they're hopefully or 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 perhaps not as focused on those on those things mm-hmm. that the stakes are different that we start perceiving different stakes that's true we're older and then become more more self-centered as a result of it yeah, I, I think that that self-preservation thing is really a, a big key to it. I think you're, you've definitely hit the, the nail on the head there. But it also goes for like, you know, if, if we proceed, it, it still goes down to like, well, is our, is, even if we focus on like, well, I want the best future for myself and my family and my loved ones, are we going to, is that, is that future, how is that future most attainable? Is it is it by by going it alone, or is it or is it by by reaching out and continuing to lift up others so that it, so that you know even when our our uh, even if we want to lift up ourselves and our family, there's like the thing like Anastasia was saying. Well, that's going to happen if we lift up others too. Then we'll all be lifted up. Exactly. You know but, what I mean? But I think there has to be a there has to be a part of you though that naturally wants to do that. Uh, I mean, it's one thing if you see it and you kind of awaken because you you have that realization. You go, you know what? I've been living my life wrong and I'm going to change. But I think for people that don't have that, I really want to help other people as part of their natural personality. Uh, it's going to take a lot longer to build that trust with others because I think people can sense if you have an ulterior motive. Like if I help somebody, I bet they'll help me versus let's just all work together. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, and the, and the thought is, you know, I mean, the thing is that that um, oftentimes we still, you know, we still live in a world where, where for whatever reasons, it's 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 most easy for people to keep focusing on on what's in front of them, right, and themselves and stuff. So very true, and perhaps limited resources. You know, I mean, this is the argument like, well, there's only so much to go around. Yeah, uh, I don't yeah. know. I get sad about that. It's interesting because we had talked earlier about not having a record of some of these performances. There, there is a certain element of things that we retain on our, in our heads. And sometimes I'll wake up in the morning and I'll be hearing those kids sing freak flag as if I was just at the theater last night. Like that is just burned into my brain. And I love, That's pretty funny. I love that song because it's, a, it's an example of that same kind of unity that they're all building together saying, look, we're all different, but we're all here to do this together. And and I'd love that song for that reason. But the kids also gave such a great performance of it night after yeah. night, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it was kind of an odd place to cut, but it was the best place I could find to do it, uh, that the episodes weren't too lopsided time-wise. So we'll be picking up again with Marcus soon for the second part of his interview. In the meantime, I will be back next week with another wonderful guest. 
And uh, hopefully you'll enjoy that one too. And uh, remember to leave your feedback. Go to iTunes, to Podbean, to my website, uh, anywhere where you're following the the podcast. Uh, Feel free to subscribe. That'd be great. And uh, definitely uh, let others know if you're enjoying the podcast and you think they will as well. In the meantime, thank you very much. Go to the Hasking Cast podcast page on Facebook, like it, and be entered into the drawing, the monthly drawing for a flash drive with all of the mental sauna music I've created up to this point for the, uh, the albums that have been released. And thank you very much. And we'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers.